You see, we as a society undervalue rest, especially as Christians. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, we have prayer, we have Bible study, we have devotions, we fast, we give, all of which are important. But rarely is rest mentioned. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you would, this morning. Uh, we're going to, you know, a couple of weeks ago, last week, we didn't really get to, I didn't get to preach, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. And, uh, and I said the week before that this was going to be the last message on this series on the Bible application, and we've been talking about uh, Bible application from God's Word and applying it to our lives. And we talked about the children of Israel and how God had delivered them from bondage and from slavery and uh, from the life that they had lived. God delivered them and brought them in to Mount Sinai before He takes them into the promised land. He brings them to Mount Sinai and begins to give them some guidelines to live by. We call it the Ten Commandments and the Law. But He gave them some basic biblical principles, guidelines to live by. And the reason for that is because all they had known was slavery and bondage. And the reality is when you and I were in sin, all we knew was slavery and bondage. All we knew was what it was like to be controlled by sin and the sin nature. And, and, and we really didn't know what real freedom was. The Israelites didn't know what real freedom was. And, and so God begins to outline some guidelines, gives them some guidelines to live by because he wanted them to live a life of freedom. He didn't want them to go back into bondage. He didn't want them to go back into slavery. And he gives them some guidelines to live by so they can enjoy a life of freedom. And I believe it's true for us today that God delivers us from the bondage of sin. He delivers. He sets us free. And then he gives us some guidelines. He gives us some guidelines to live by. And the guidelines are not to... Uh, establish a relationship, but the relationship is already established. When God saved you, when he came into your life, the relationship has been established. And then God gives you some guidelines to live by because he wants you to live a life of freedom. He doesn't want you to get sucked back in to the life of slavery and bondage. He wants you to live a life of freedom. He, in fact, he told Israel, he said, I know the plans that I have for you. They're, they are plans to prosper you, to give you a future, to give you hope, to make your life a success. I believe God has that same plan for you and I today. God wants us to live a very good life. He wants, us to, give, he wants to give us a hope and a future. And so we've been talking about all these biblical applications, these guidelines that God has given us to live by, and that if we apply them, it's one thing to believe in them, and it's okay, but you've got to apply them to your daily life. You've got to apply them to the way you live. And so we talked about this life application, applying the principles of God's Word to your life. And when you do, it intersects with God's faithfulness, and things begin to progress. Things begin to trans happen on the inside of us, and we begin to make progress of living a life of freedom. And so uh, I, I thought I was going to finish up two weeks ago, and God said, no, I'm, I got one more for you. 
Next week, he may give another one, but not, not that I know of right now, but we'll go with this. You and I live in a generation that's exhausted. We are an exhausted generation. And our culture baits us to live a life that is unsustainable, and it is, and it is robbing us of the joy of life. It's robbing us emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually. And so for some of you, you're going to think, well, this is just not realistic for me. This is just my lifestyle and the way I'm living and uh, my career and everything that's going on. It's just not realistic. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to lean in to make this happen in your life and for those in your life as well. God wants this for you. And you and I will either reap the benefits of applying this principle that we're going to talk about in our lives, or we are going to suffer the consequences of not doing it. But the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. God is not going to send you to hell if you don't apply this to your life. But God is wanting something greater for you if you apply it to your life. And what we're going to talk about today is rest. Not just the spiritual rest that we talked about or we felt or we experienced, but we're going to be talking about a rest and I want us to look at two situations in the Word of God. One is where this application was not applied. And what happened and what went on. And the other is to an application where it was applied. A situation where it was applied in our lives. And it's found in the New Testament. But right now, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. And I believe that some of you can identify with what's going on here in this chapter. We find in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, that Jezebel, King Ahab and Jezebel, are living very wicked lives. Jezebel is having all the prophets of God killed. He, she is going about and she's trying to have every one of the prophets of God killed. And Obadiah, which is serving under King Ahab, Obadiah has reserved 50 prophets in one cave and 50 other prophets in another cave. And so Ahab has been looking for Elijah because there has been no rain in the land. There has been no rain for three years. No rain in the land whatsoever. And and, and Ahab even looked at Elijah and said, you're the one that troubles Israel because you prayed that there would be no rain in the land for three years. You have brought trouble upon Israel. And so Ahab has been looking for Elijah. And of course, Elijah hasn't been found. And so Elijah shows up one day and he says, Obadiah, I want you to go tell King Ahab that I'm on my way to see him. And, of course, Obadiah responded and said, you're kidding me. 
You've got to be kidding. You want me to go to King Ahab and tell Ahab that I saw Elijah and Elijah's coming to you? And Obadiah said, Ahab will have my head because I tell you what's going to happen. You're going to send me to Ahab. I'm going to tell him the story, and then God's going to vanish you and take you somewhere else. That's what always seems to happen. Every time you show up, God sends you somewhere else, and we can't find you. No one can find you, and, you, and, God, and Ahab is going to have my head. Don't you know that I've hid 50 of your prophets in one cave, 50 in another cave, and you want me to die? And Elijah responds, he said, listen, you don't have to fear death. I am going to see Ahab today. And so Obadiah goes back and tells Ahab, Elijah wants to see you. And so Elijah comes to King Ahab, and Ahab responds, hey, aren't you the one that's troubling us? And of course, Elijah said, hey, it wasn't me. I'm not the one that brought this disaster or famine upon the children of Israel. You're the one because of your wickedness and your ways. He says, but I tell you what to do. I really like for you to go get the 450 prophets of Baal. Go get the 400 prophets from Asherah. And I want you to meet me on the mountain. And this is what with the people of Israel. Ahab agrees. He sends for the 450 prophets of Baal. He sends for the 400 prophets of the Asheroth. And all of a sudden, they meet on the mountain there. And Elijah, with the children of Israel... And Elijah asked the question, why do you waver between who is God? This is what I challenge you today. I challenge you to make a sacrifice, to build an altar and make a sacrifice. And I will build an altar and offer a sacrifice on this altar, but don't put any fire up underneath the altar. Don't put any fire whatsoever. And the God who consumes the sacrifice, he will be our God. And the children of Israel said, sounds like a good idea to me. And so Elijah looks at the, the prophecy and he said, hey, there's more of you than there is me. Why don't you start first? Why don't you go ahead and erect your altar and put your sacrifice on it, but don't light a fire, and then you begin to call on your God and if he consumes the altar, if he consumes the sacrifice, then he will be God. And so they erect an altar. They put the sacrifice on it. And they begin to pray to Baal. I really want you to kind of picture this. They begin to pray to Baal. They start in the morning, and they're praying to Baal, and there's no answer. There's no movement. There's no wind. There's no nothing. Nothing is happening. And so Elijah, about 12 o'clock, begins to taunt them. I love this. He taunts them, and he said, hey, where is your God? He must be asleep. Maybe you need to make more noise. Maybe you need to shout a little louder. Maybe you need to, and he began to, I mean, he began to taunt all 850 prophets. And so, man, they got loud. They got loud. They were shouting. They were making all kinds of noise. They were praying. They got so, so emotional and so uh, involved in this that they began to cut themselves. 
They literally begin to cut themselves. And yet, not a word from Baal. So at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, okay, you've had enough time. Now I'll tell you what you do. I want you to get a bucket of water. Now, we're not talking about a five-gallon bucket of water. I want you to get me some pots of water, and I want you to pour over my sacrifice. And so they did. They poured water and soaked the sacrifice. He said, I want you to do it again. And so they did it again. And he said, no, I want you to do it a third time. And they did it a third time that the trench around the sacrifice was full of water. And then Elijah stepped back. And he prayed a simple 60-word prayer. He didn't shout. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. Listen, you don't have to yell and scream for God to hear you. God hears your still, small voice. And so Elijah is standing beside the sacrifice, and he prays to God a 60-word prayer. I counted it. It was about a 60-word prayer. He didn't scream and yell. He just prayed to the Lord God Jehovah. And when he was praying that prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and licked up all the water and that everything was consumed and dried. And then Elijah has every one of the prophets of Baal and Asheroth killed. He takes them down to the valley, and he has every one of them killed. Now, can you imagine the excitement, the zeal, the enthusiasm? I mean, if you'd have been there that day, and you had been Elijah, and you prayed a 60-word prayer, and God came down and consumed the sacrifice, and, and God gave you 850 of the prophets of, of the enemy over to you, and you, you slaughtered them, had them slaughtered, had them killed. I mean, can you imagine the victory? Can you imagine the adrenaline that's flowing and what's going on in, 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 in Elijah's life and what's happening? And then he looks at King Ahab. He says, listen, I want you to know it's fixing to rain. It's getting ready to rain. Rain is on the horizon. It's getting ready to rain. So you better head back. You better head back to your palace because it's fixing to rain. Great event transpires and takes place. And every one of us have those moments in our lives. We all have moments of where, where God uses us and God does great things in our lives and, and, and we're just so excited, we're, we're pumped up, we're, we're supercharged up. I mean, we're just so excited about what God does. But we become totally and physically exhausted. So I want us to look in chapter 19. Right after all of this transpires, after all this takes place, what a great victory, what a great presence of God, what a great mighty manifestation of God. In chapter 19, we find Elijah. And this is what the message he got from Jezebel. 
Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. Give me a break. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever said, I've had enough? I have had enough. I'm done. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I am done. I have had enough. Yeah. Have you ever felt that work or life or the pace that you're running is overwhelming you? Have you ever felt that way? And when you get that, to that place in your life, it leads you and I to a place of delusionment, to discouragement, to depression, and does not allow us to see our circumstances properly and our defenses are down. It is when you are exhausted that the enemy sees it as an opportunity to attack. He doesn't attack you when you're on the mountain. He doesn't attack when you're charged. But when you are exhausted is when the enemy sees an opportune moment to attack. And cause depression, disillusionment, and discouragement in your life. Have you ever been there? I think you have. I know I have. It's amazing. It is amazing. I, I, you, if you talk to pastors now, if you've never pastored, you don't understand this. But I can tell you, you can have an exciting, powerful service on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whenever you can have. God can use you mightily. God can use you powerfully. I mean, you can preach the best message you feel like you've ever preached in your life. And I'm telling you, when it's over, you are exhausted. You are mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. They say that 30 minutes of preaching is equivalent to an eight-hour day of working like physical hard work. And, and I used to think, well, that's kind of, you know, how can that be? You're up there for 30 minutes. Give me a break. I'm in the ditch for eight hours, and you're up there for 30 minutes. No, it can't be. But I discovered 30 minutes of preaching, you are drained emotionally like you worked for eight hours in a ditch. Now, it's hard to understand that, but it's true. And it's amazing that when God does something great and powerful and mighty, it's usually after that that the enemy attacks. He really 
attacks you. Elijah is exhausted. His defenses are down. He is physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted, and therefore his defenses are down. This is when you and I are vulnerable. And God knows about this. But notice what God does next. God doesn't give him a pep talk. That's what I would do. Oh, man, man, you, 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 man, I can't believe you're acting like this. I can't believe this is going on in your life. I mean, really, look at what God just did. And here, you know, God didn't even give him a pep talk. Look at the next passage of Scripture. We find that in verse 5, the Bible says, Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him. Now, we don't know when all that once was. We don't know if it was immediately. We don't know how much time was there, but he slept. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread. That's why I know it's okay to eat bread. I love bread. The angel made it, so I know it's okay for me to eat bread. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. He ate, he drank, and he laid down again. He went right back to sleep. Now think about that for a moment. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now, I, I, I really want you to get the pattern. He slept, he ate, he slept, and he ate. Now, we're not talking about laziness. There's a difference between laziness and resting. Laziness is a lifestyle of doing nothing. God does not want you and I to be lazy. He doesn't want us to live a lifestyle of doing nothing. He wants us to be about his business and his work and not ours. He wants us to be about doing what he has created us to do and prepared us to do and purposed us to do in our lives. God doesn't want you to be lazy. He does expect you and I to work. Do you hear me? God expects you to work, me to work. He did not create us to be lazy. He, mm, I'm going to get in trouble here. He did not create us to be socialist. I'm just telling you. He did not create me for you to wait on me. He did not create you for me to wait on you. He did not create us that we, we don't have to do nothing. We're going to let everybody provide. No, God expects you to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the scripture says. 
You should not expect someone else to provide for you. You, when you reach, reach, reach that age, you need to work. And don't expect someone else to provide for you. Now, if you're disabled and you can't work, that's totally different. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about working. God expects you to work. In fact, he created Adam and Eve, and he said, Adam, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to work it. Even when there was no sin, God expected Adam and Eve to take care of the garden. Now, I know this is not going to be a popular message, but I'm telling you, God wants you to work. But he also wants you to rest. Do you hear me? He wants you to rest. And here Elijah had worked. He was drained emotionally. He was drained physically. He was drained spiritually. He was exhausted. And he went away and he slept. God prepared him a meal. He ate. He went back to sleep. God prepared him another meal. And he ate again. And he said, now I want you to get up and go for the journey. I want you to eat. Because the journey is too much for you if you don't eat. So he expected Elijah to eat. And then notice he traveled for about 40 days according to Scripture. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There, get this, there he went into a cave and spent the night. He slept. Now notice the pattern. He did his work. He ate, slept, ate, and slept. And then God speaks to Elijah. And if you'll notice something, and we're not going to get into all that, there were four different ways or four th different things that happened. There was the wind, but Elijah didn't hear the voice of God in the wind. There was an earthquake, but God didn't hear, Elijah didn't hear the voice of God in the earthquake. There was the fire, but God did not speak through the fire. And then there was a still, small voice that spoke. And Elijah heard. Now, I really want you to get the pattern of what's going on. He takes a journey. He sleeps. He is being recharged. He is being recharged physically, emotionally, spiritually. And then he is so recharged that he can hear the small voice of God. The whisper. The whisper, the whisper of God. You see, Elijah could not hear from God before because he was exhausted, physically, emotionally, spiritually drained. And this leads us to the next application, rest. You see, we as a society undervalue rest, especially as Christians. 
When it comes to spiritual disciplines, we have prayer, we have Bible study, we have devotions, we fast, we give, all of which are important. But rarely is rest mentioned. Rarely. Rarely do we say anything about resting. Isn't that ironic? Since it's talked about throughout scriptures. Even in creation, God sets up an example for you and I to follow. God did not need any rest. But on the seventh day, the Bible says he rested. He made it for us. Then he made it a part of the law, the Sabbath, a day of rest, a day that you were not to do any work. You see, you got to understand that burnout is not spiritual. Being burned out is not spiritual. And I can tell you from experience, being burned out is nothing spiritual. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to someone, and, and I, 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 I'm going to tell you, I was burnt out. And I made this statement, I said, I am just exalted, I, exhausted. I am exhausted. I don't have anything else to give. And one of the members looked at me and said, don't you ever say that again. I don't ever want to hear those words come from your mouth. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I am exhausted. Burnout spiritually is nothing. There's nothing. I mean, burnout is nothing spiritual about it. And what the kingdom of God needs is not a burnt out person, but a replenished, energized, and passionate person for God. If we try to run life at an unsustainable pace, life is going to fall apart. In fact, in a survey taken from children from the ages or from the grades of third grade to the twelfth grade, most children wish their parents were less tired and less stressed. They wanted a replenished and energized parent. Burnout is not good. Being exhausted is not good because you cannot hear from the Lord. And you will go into a state of depression and disillusionment. But notice who the one that person that got it right. The one person who seems to get it right every time is Jesus. Now, let me share this with you. If Jesus, if Jesus, who is the Son of God, God in the flesh, if Jesus had to be intentional to get this right in his life, Shouldn't we? I mean, notice the pattern in the life of Jesus. He would engage in his calling and in his work. And after his engagement into his calling and his work, then he would pull back, he would pull out, and he would rest and replenish, pray and reflect, and then he would re-engage. Every time there was a big event, every time there was a big miracle. In fact, you know when Jesus fed the 5,000? 
Can you imagine how draining that was for him? He fed 5,000 people. He prayed a prayer. The disciples went out. They passed out the food. God did a miracle. God did a miraculous thing uh, through Jesus Christ. He fed the 5,000. But notice after the 5,000 had been fed, he sends them away. He sends his disciples away. And he goes up into the mountain to be by himself with his father. Why? You see, you begin, if you, if you do not get rest, you begin to break down. Your life, your life, and I quote, I believe, from Andy Stanley, your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. If you run a fast pace with everything in your life, with no rest and no replenishment, your life will move into a bad place. You will begin to break down emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You will begin to break down, and you begin to rely on yourself rather than God. And it begins to affect you and the people in your life, your family. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. So God says, I need you to rest. Doesn't mean you're to quit working, but you're to lay it down and rest. What would happen if you began to do that? I, I, let's, don't talk, let's don't look at anybody else. Don't look at me. I'm not a good example. <laughs> I will be honest with you, I'm not. In fact, it, when, when someone comes to work for me, this is what I've told Zach. I told my son this. I've told those that work for me. I said, I do not want you to be like me. I do not want you to be like me because I am a workaholic. I just, I don't know why. I don't know, well, I do know why. That's not a good reason, but I, I do know why. I said, I do not want you to be like me. And I'm trying to be better. I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to be. But I've realized that when I'm exhausted, I can't hear from God. And if I can't hear from God, how can I share with you what God is speaking? How can I be a good shepherd? How can I be a good pastor if I can't hear from God? How can you be a good parent if you don't hear from God? Hear me. How can you be a good coworker if you don't hear from God? How can you manage people if you don't hear from God? If you don't have the spirit of discernment, you see, when you're physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted, you can't hear from God. You can't hear from God because you're drained, you're, you're burned out. You can't hear from God, and you're not any good to your family. You're not any good to your coworkers. You're not any good to your business. You're not good to anyone because you're exhausted. And God said, listen, I need you to rest. I need you to put everything on hold one day a week and rest. Stop. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm just like, stop. So that you can hear from me. 
Stop so you can be replenished. Stop so you can be emotionally recharged. Stop so you can have a passion for me. Stop and get recharged so you can be good for your people. Whether it's your family, your co-workers, or whoever. Pause. What if we began to get this right? What if I began to get it right? What if you began to get it right and we did what God said? You know, listen, it's, you know, you're not going to go to hell if you don't keep the Sabbath. You know, we don't even recognize Saturday as a Sabbath anymore. We recognize Sunday as a Sabbath because Jesus is our rest, and I understand that. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But you know, there's a principle there that God was trying to lay out for you and I for our benefit, for the good of ourselves and the good of our families and the good of our coworkers and those business partners or whatever. You need to pause for a day and replenish. What if we began to do that? What would that change just in the dynamics of your family? What would that change? What would that change in the dynamics of your coworkers? When you come back to Monday, you come back to work on Monday and you're replenished, you're refurbished, you are, you are passionate and you're ready to, to, to hit the, the nail on the head, so to speak. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen to life in general? And so this is what I want to offer to you this morning as a guideline. It's not a law, but it is a guideline that God says, I, I really want you to get this right because I really want you to enjoy life. I really want you to enjoy life. And so I want to offer you the suggestion. What if you... What if you and I make it a point to have a 24-hour 24 24-hour 24 Sabbath every week? Every week. What if you were, were so socially connected, are we not? When you sit at the table with your spouse, I very, very, very seldom do I not pull my phone out and sit it on the table. Just in case. Do I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But so is my wife. <laughs> Just in case one of the kids call. Yeah, right. And that, I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed right before you go to bed, I check all my emails. <laughs> and the first thing in the morning when I get up, I have the tendency to, Check all my emails. What if we became intentional and said for a 24-hour period, I'm going to lay it all down so I can get recharged and replenished, so I can hear from God, so I can be a better person, so I can minister to the world, so I will have something to give, something to share. What if we became, if Jesus had to become intentional to get away from the crowd to be with his Father, shouldn't, shouldn't you and I become intentional about resting? If Jesus had to do it, 
what makes us any different? So I want to challenge you tonight. Before you go to bed, don't check your email. Don't check your Twitter account. Don't, don't even look at your phone before you go to bed. Don't. And when you get up in the morning, don't look at your phone. Eat breakfast. Eat breakfast. Go in there and have a Dunkin' stick. Fix you some toast. Fix you a biscuit. Go in there and just kind of spend some time getting recharged, replenished. Take a walk. Take a walk. Or sit down and read a passage of Scripture. What if you did that before you, you checked the phone, before you started? What if you became intentional? What would that do to you as an individual? And how would it affect your coworkers? Second of all, I want you to be intentional. Would you consider this? Would you consider this? Reboot your mind by having that devotion. And what if you purposely, purposely, purposely have a quarterly recharge? Every quarter, I'm going to take off for two days, and I'm going to have some R&R. I'm going to go ride my bike. I'm going to go camping. I, I got tickled at, at Casey and them. They, they love to camp. But camping here in South Georgia is not like it is in Alaska. And they decided they will do their camping now during the winter instead of the summer. <laughs> and I thought, it's hot. But what if you become intentional that I'm going to take a quarterly recharge? How would that affect you? How would that affect your kids? How would it affect your coworkers? I'm telling you, I believe it will make all the difference in the world because society is baiting us to the edge. Is that a Derek? Now you know I'm getting old. I'm looking over here, Zach. What if we became intentional? And hear me, I'm not talking about being lazy. But what if we became intentional and said, Lord, I know I have a lot to do. I know that there's a lot going on in my life. I know there's a lot going on. I've got to do this to the house. I've got to do that. I've got to do this at work. I, I, Lord, I know that. But what if you became intentional? What if that you take off one day a week one day and you rest. What if you became intentional that you said, before I go to bed, I'm not going to check my email. When I get up in the morning, I'm not going to check my email. I'm going to recharge. I'm going to spend some time with my Heavenly Father. And listen, I've discovered something about spending time with my Heavenly Father. The best time I have with my Heavenly Father is not when I'm on my knees in prayer. Do you hear me? The best time I have with my Heavenly Father is when I'm on a walk. And I'm just walking. And I'm talking. And I'm listening. I tell you what, I enjoy that. 
I enjoy that. Now, see, when I'm on my knees in prayer, that's fervent prayer. That, 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 I mean, that, that, and that's important. Don't misunderstand me. But what if I just said, Lord, I'm just going to rest in you today. I'm going to rest in you this morning. I'm just going to spend some time walking with you, sharing my heart with you, and letting you share with me. Maybe just five minutes. It may be just down to the street corner. But what if you became intentional about that and did that every day? How would that change your relationships at home, at work? I think it would make a big difference. And what if you purpose once a month or once a quarter? I mean, I'm going to have some R&R. I'm going to take off a couple of days, spend with my family, spend recharging, spend replenishing, doing something just that I enjoy doing and not feeling guilty because God wants that for you. I believe it will make a difference in your spiritual life and in the life of others. Would you stand? So it's a challenge today. It's a biblical principle. It's a guideline that God has given us to live by. Oh, if you don't live by it, you're not going to you know, lose eternal life. But God says, I want you to have a good life. I want you to enjoy life. I, you know, I, I thought about, I love to camp. I thought about Casey and, and Canaan and their family. I love to camp. And I, when I say camp, I don't want no camper. I want a tent. I want a fire. I, I you know, give me a cot now. I, you know, I used to sleep on the ground, but give me a cot. You know, I, I done reach that state. I love to camp. And you know what I'll do? I'll sit out almost all night long. In fact, I would sleep all night long if it's good by the fire in a chair, just listening and resting. I enjoy that. And God wants me to do it. He wants me to do the things that I enjoy doing. He made that for me. And he made it for you. Yours may not be camping. You know, my wife, my, my wife uh, a camping is a camper. Uh, she wants the running water. She wants the camper. She wants the AC. I don't. She does. It's okay. And the thing is, God made that for her. And whatever it is for you that you like to do, if you're Gibbs and you like to build a boat in the basement, then build a boat in the basement. But do it because God wants you to do it. I want to challenge you. Rest. Not just in Christ, but rest. Cease from your labors so you can be replenished, recharged, become passionate about your work and about your Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head? Father God, I pray for this crowd this morning, whether they're listening to me here or online. God, I pray that we will grasp, that we will understand this principle, that we will truly grasp it and apply it, apply it, apply it to our lives. God, not just daily, God, not just weekly or quarterly, God, but Lord, that we will truly apply it to our lives so that we can be better, 
so that we can be better witnesses, that we can be better people, that we can be better workers, that we can be better parents, that we can be better shepherds, Lord, that we can be better at whatever you've called us and gifted us to do. God, that we can be better to glorify your name. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to get this right, to get it right, to be intentional, to get it right. God, that we can hear from you. My kids need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. This congregation needs to hear from you, God. We need to hear from you, God. With the anxiety and the stress of the world, God, we need to hear from you. So would you help us today to follow this principle in our lives and get it right so we can be the men and women of God that you want us to be today. God, I pray it that it becomes a reality in our lives. That we just don't know about it, but that we apply it. It becomes real. And we become recharged, passionate about you and about your people today. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you worship for just a moment? this praise team as I lead us in this song. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.